today, the goal of my preaching is to make you sexier than when you came. Yes, it is possible for everyone to be a sexier than before by grace of God. It is my prayer that you, we all become sexier every day for the glory of God. Sex and God go together because God made sex. Sex is a holy. While many people today make a God out of sex, Bible tells us that sex belongs to God and God is an inventor and instructor of a sex. True satisfying sex is a sacred sex. Speaking of a sacred sex, there is a book titled actually Sacred Sex and that I actually give out to our uh, 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 new couples after the premarital counseling. And then in that, there's a quotation. I'm going to read uh, some of the quotation throughout the day. And the author, uh, Tim Gardner, said this, sex does not make sense unless we understand it is a holy. We cannot unlock the secrets of sex and enjoy its greatest benefit unless we approach it as a holy act. Only then will couples truly experience the beauty and joy of a great sex the way God intended. It is important to acknowledge that God could have arranged the whole reproduction, reproduction thing any way he wanted. A hidden button, a super secret handshake, or some unique facial exchange that brought about conception. Really, he could have. Well, absolutely, God is a creator. But instead, God designed sex. He must have a good reason. But what is it? The reason that God created sex and designed the sex it is, is for relational bonding. Relational bonding. So sexual intimacy needs sacred instruction. You know, God designed the marital sex to be an encounter with the divine. Sexual intimacy with all its emotions and sensations was never intended to be experienced solely in emotional and physical realm. Rather, it is a spiritual, even mystical experience in which two becomes one. God is a present in the very real way every time this happens. Sex really is a holy. And sex was to be the way that a husband and a wife were to touch each other's soul along with the body. Before I share the sacred instruction for our sexual intimacy, I want to point out the state of sex in our society today. As you notice that we are living in a more sexualized time than ever, yet we are struggling with the sex a lot. In popular 1970 book, everything you always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask, author Dan, David Rubin claimed, the more you know about sex, the more you can enjoy. Well, we know more about sex, we talk more about sex than before, we even have a sex education in public schools and sex therapy, medical science to help all kinds of sexual problems. Yet, the studies shows overall sexual satisfaction is declining. For instance, in December 2018 cover story of Atlantic, there was a warning 
that Americans, particularly young people, the millennials, are having so little sex, the senior editor called that drop sex recession. Sex recession. In that article, they featured the 2016 General Social Survey conducted by University of Chicago, and it said that millennials are having fewer sexual encounters on average than two generations ago. In fact, frequency of a sex for all adults in America has declined 15%. So that's the state of a sex in our time. In short, we are more sexually informed than ever. We can take advantage of a therapy, medical treatment not available to previous generation. We have a free access to more sexually stimulating material than any time in history. But despite of all this knowledge, people are more sexually empty, more sexually frustrated, more sexually lost than ever before. We must ask why. So before I get into our talk today, I want to make it clear about uh, this, uh, this the, 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 the divine or holy sex. It is not only for married people, everyone. Sexual integrity and purity is uh, something that God you know, calls every Christian, both single, married, everyone. Sexual purity doesn't end when you get married. It continues, actually, a much graver way for married Christians. So without further ado, let me talk about holy sex today in the title of Sex and the City of God. Yes, I copied the title from Sex and the City, but we are not going to talk about Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda, but rather we're going to talk about David and Michael and God. So let's turn to our text today, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 12, let me read. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Adam and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Adam to the city of David with a rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen effort, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with the shouts and the sounds of a trumpet. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David has pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished the sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, cake of date, cake of raisin to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their home. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord 
who chose me rather than your father or anyone from your house when he appointed me ruler over Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. To enjoy sex as a God designed, we must understand the worship. Worship is the ultimate secret of success for sex and all sexual beings. So thesis of my message today is this. Worship makes worshipers sexier. Worship makes the worshipers sexier. Today's story tells us two important things about worship. The nature of a worship and the necessity of a worship. What is a worship and why worship is so critical in our life? So first question, what is a worship? What is the essential nature of a worship that we see in today's story of David? The quintessential nature of a worship is a joy. If you look at the verse 12, David brought the ark of God to his city with a rejoicing, with a rejoicing. In other English translations say he brought the ark of God with a gladness, great celebration, or good cheers. This joy of a worship was expressed in dancing and music. And he notice here, the music that we saw in this story is not some kind of solemn religious you know, church music. It says shout and sounds of a trumpet. So it's a more like a rock and roll type of a music. Have you seen a loud celebration? Have you seen really, really loud celebration? In 1978, when I was in Buenos Aires, Argentina, I saw one. That's when Argentina won the World Cup soccer. They hosted World Cup soccer for the first time, and then they beat the Netherlands in the final, and they won. They became campeón mundial. They, be, they got the mundial, the World Cup. And you know, soon as the game ended, guess what? Everybody came out of their place, and with a pots and some kind of a metal stick, and they're, they're banging. Anybody who has a car, they're driving with a honking, and the people on the top of the car, it went all night. Also, I kind of, uh, you know, my first time, so I went out too. And I'm the, I felt sort of uh, out of place. I went back and I brought my own, you know, rice pot and then, you know, a spoon and I was banging. Everyone was hugging everybody. And that day, you could hug anybody. It was a loud celebration. And Bible also said David did not dance, just dance. Like some Christians piously raise our arms in the contemporary worship. I know some of you here never raise your arms above your you know, shoulder. You know? And uh, even when we clap, I know that uh, about one-third of people, probably young people are clapping, rest of old people are not. You know, they're like worshiping. Anyway, I, that's all right. But today, Bible said, David danced with all his might. Have you seen somebody who was dancing all his might? David's worship more like a heavy metal fan dancing in his favorite concert. I checked in the YouTube. 
They dance like this. You know? And then go crazy. David's joy of worship is wild and the wildest that we have seen so far in the Bible. Have you seen anyone before in the Bible worshiping God like David? So question, what made David so wildly joyful, uncontrollably cheerful in his worship? David's joy of worship points us three reflections and observations about true worship. Worship expresses joy in three ways. Let me give out quickly the outline. Uh, uh, it's a sweet obedience, slow operation, and the sexy outcome. Now, if a uh, joy of the worship is uh, compared to uh, a tree, there is a tree has a root and a branch, and ultimately there's a fruit. So that's what you're looking at. So let's look at the, the root part, the sweet obedience. This joyful worship of David originated when David realized that God is a holy yet good and gracious. David's worship in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 that we read was actually his second attempt to bring the ark of God to his city. Earlier in chapter 6, we saw God's anger breaking out against one of the priests named Uzzah who was carrying an ark of God on the cart. And God struck him dead, struck him dead. Last week we learned that anyone such as Utsa who took a God for granted and thought somehow he could control God conveniently will be surprised by God's terrible holiness. God cannot be tamed or domesticated by human convention or convenience. As David was shocked by the scary side of God's holiness, and suspended his plan to bring us an ark for three months. I bet it was a very confusing and soul-searching time for David. David probably wondered why in the world God rejected my good will to honor him. What went wrong? And then verse 12 tells us he had good news. Somebody told David, the Lord has blessed the household of household of Obed-Edom and everything he has and because of the ark of God. It was a great news that David realized the problem was not ark of God. Since he supernaturally blessed Obed-Edom, the temporary keeper of the ark of God. So David realized the problem lied with him and Israelite. So second time he brought, he changed. For that, look at the first chronicle, chapter 15. David said, it was because you, the Levite, did not bring it up. First time the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priest and Levite consecrate themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel. And the Levite carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. When David obeyed to transport the ark of God according to God's instruction, his worship became more joyful than before. David now realized that a holy God was not a scary God, but ultimately sweet and faithful and good God, especially to those who obey his word. For David, 
joy cannot be separated from obedience to God's word. For David, obedience was not something imposed on him or something that he was pressured to comply with. But obedience was a positive thing because God provided his truth to make it possible for him to draw near. You know, when somebody tells us information about how to overcome or avoid uh, any great danger, wouldn't we find that information an obligation or blessing? David obeyed God's word joyfully in his worship. You know, for God's people, obedience to God's truth, I mean, obedience to God's truth is not an obligation. It's an opportunity. So, first thing, the joy and obedience go together. Second, joy expressed not only through the sweet obedience, but also slow-moving operation. Verse 13, when those who are carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. Every six steps taken, they offered a sacrifice. At every seventh step, David offered a sacrifice. What does that mean? Why the seventh step? Why not 12th step? Why not 40th step? Why not even 100th step? You know what was David doing? Here, David was offering walking Sabbath. Walking Sabbath. David was practicing Sabbath in his procession. For David, this procession was so holy and such an honor that he wanted to celebrate every second of it literally. By the way, offering, that David offered the atoning sacrifice. And the atoning sacrifice takes time. So it was not just a, just stop and go. It was stop and sacrifice, bow and the calf and go. And then a little bit later, once again, stop and sacrifice and go. Anti Wright once said, true worship doesn't keep looking at its watch. Some of you watch, looking at your watch right now, that's not true worship. You know, next time you go to date, look at your watch. And then see what happens. That's the true nature of a worship. When we enjoy something, we enjoy slowly, repeatedly almost wishing that time moves like a snail. For instance, when I eat ice cream, my favorite ice cream, I sometimes measure how slowly, how long I can finish my ice cream. When my alma mater, Baylor, basketball team won the national championship, I watched almost every YouTube post-game analysis as well as a pre-game prediction. That I loved it. Everybody who bet the Gonzaga gonna white, you know, they're gonna have a undefeated season. You know, when we savor our joy, we savor joy slowly. We don't want to depart from the lived moment of a joy. But we drag out that every second of the joy as long as possible. And the worship of God is the ultimate victory that we want to linger on. 
Because of worship means I'm encountering the infinite God, God who created the universe barely with his word. And that God is infinitely loving me. And to God, I'm far more important than the whole entire universe. Because God gave his son for me, according to his word. Joy of infinite God over me is so precious. I don't mind time stop for good. So that's why worship is slow. And that David didn't mind that he's taking time to celebrate his worship. Now, joy of a worship is expressed not just through a sweet obedience and slow operation, but ultimately, now this is a you know, concluding part of the first part, sexy outcome. Sexy outcome. Let me explain what sexy outcome is. Look at the verse 17 again. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the tent. They be pitched for it, and they be sacrificed burnt offering and fellowship offering before the Lord. After he has finished the sacrificing burnt offering and fellowship offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty, and then he gave a loaf of bread, cake of date, and the cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. After David completed transporting the ark of God to the tabernacle, celebration didn't end. David offered the extra offerings, burnt offering and fellowship offering. And then it didn't end there. David also gave a people blessing and gave a people a food. You know, already during the fellowship, during the offering, especially a fellowship offering, David gave them a cooked meals, like a brisket. They already have a brisket. So today, the, the, the fellowship we have and the sermon I preached, it goes together. You guys don't laugh, that's why. But the, the look at the way that uh, David blessed the people. David gave them not just, you know, bread, but also dessert bread. What are the dessert bread? Cake of raisins and cake of date. Do you know what kind of uh, uh, cakes or desserts are these? These are aphrodisiac. Those, are, those of you who don't know what aphrodisiac, ask your friend. Anyway, in ancient Israel, these are the the food that the man and woman take before they consummate. So for instance, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 5, it said, Refresh me with the raisin cakes. Sustain me with the apples become, because I'm a lovesick. You know? And the Hosea 3.1, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet is committing adultery as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So what was David telling his people with this gift of aphrodisiac is this. Our celebration of God's love is not over. Go home. Make love to each other. Today is a holy day, and this is a great day to make babies. Be horny in the name of the Lord. Almighty. And all people went to their home, men and women. 
King David wanting to continue this holy love from tabernacle of God to everyone's bedroom. Joy of worship is a foundation of a holy love. Now, let me, let me, bring, let me, let me uh, read a one more uh, 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 a quote from the Tim Gardner, the sacred uh, uh, love. He said this. As my lovely wife likes to tell women, do not read a glamour or cosmopolitan to find out how to improve your sex life. Bible is a much better place to start. Is absolutely right. She's absolutely right. Bible, we have a, a book about the sex called the Song of Solomon. Seriously, read it, you know. If you ever read a Song of Solomon with a little bit of a commentary on the side, you'll probably look at the Bible like this. And we have a local pastor named Tommy Nelson, a pastor of a Denton Bible Church. He wrote a, a, a sensational Bible study material in Song of Solomon. And uh, yeah, I hope that one day we can also go over that material. But Bible takes the sex seriously. There's a whole book devoted on this physical intimacy. Now, and men, if you want to do something that your, your, your wife will find sexy and sensual, try this simple act of uh, foreplay. Pray with her. I don't mean saying grace before dinner or do I, uh, I, I don't mean that asking God to bless your grandma, grandpa, and your dog Skippy. I mean really pray with her. Bring before God your fears, your failures, your hopes, and your dreams, and pray for your wife for the challenges and demands she faces each day, for her worries, for her strength, then thank God for beauty, her charm, her friendship, her faithfulness, and praise God for giving you privilege of sharing in this beautiful gift of a sexual intimacy with her. It might sound crazy, but praying together opens our doors to intimacy that you never suspected were there. So according to Gardner, the grateful play before lovemaking is a praying together. Okay, I want to make a, a disclaimer here. Sisters, please don't tell me that, Pastor Paul, this is my, my, my husband is insisting praying together too much. Please. And the brothers, please don't tell me later that, uh, Pastor Paul, we prayed together but nothing happened. Just my point is this, when a husband is honest and grateful and even vulnerable in the presence of God, you know what he becomes? He becomes sexy. Yes. Such a grateful, vulnerable, honest man becomes a far much sexier than a guy with a six-pack. Amen? Amen? Okay. In order to be sexy, this is my key point, okay? We must find something sexier than sex, something greater, sweeter than my pleasure, and that is God's delight over me. That is a God's unconditional love and his grace for me. And when we find God's amazing love for us, God's amazing heart for us in his presence, you know what happened? We find ourselves to be luckiest, 
and most blessed being in the entire universe. You feel you are richer than any billionaire out there. Because in God's embracing love, we can be totally naked, not just physically, in everywhere we get na naked, and yet we are comforted without any shame. The presence of God makes us grateful, secure, and joyful, and that's sexy. By that I mean attractive. So, who do you want to share your physical intimacy with? Someone grateful, secure, joyful, or someone complaining, insecure, and demanding, and depressed? Worship makes us sexy. Worship actually delivers us from sexy. Worship of God makes everything fall in the right places. Now let me bring the second point, the necessity of worship and lovemaking. If a David was a positive role model for worship, Michael was the opposite, the negative role model. Michael teaches us why worship is so critically necessary in intimate relationship. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Michal despised her husband's worship in her heart. She despised David because he is a wild, joyful worship of God. We don't know why Michal didn't join David and other Israelites in their greatest celebration to bring the ark of God. She was not only physically absent from the worship, she was a profoundly adamant about the David's you know, wild worship. In other words, David's joyful worship offended Michal, and she despised David in her heart. Do you know who despised David before? The other time the word despise appeared in the book of Samuel was 1 Samuel chapter 17, 42. Look at it. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with a health and handsome, and he despised him. Who is he? That's a Goliath. When Goliath saw David for the first time, he despised him for his small body and useful age and a kind of a naive romantic bravery. And this is the way that Michal saw David today. Michal saw David the same way the pagan warrior Goliath saw David. Both of them simply saw David apart from God. They both forgot that David's bravery in the war and David's humility in the worship was toward God. They saw David's acts without his adorations of God. Michal saw David's humility by she did not see God in David's heart. By the way, in this story, Michal was consistently described as a daughter of Saul rather than wife of David. For three times in verse 16, 20, 23, she was portrayed as a daughter of Saul, meaning she resembled her father more than her husband. 
like a father Saul, who cared about his kingship more than God's kingship over Israel, Michal cared about her social prestige as a royal family member more than her spiritual privilege as a God's worshiper. So what happens when we run worship? As we saw in Michal's case, your castle becomes your own prison cell. Look at the Michal's concern in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant, as any vulgar fellow would. Here we see she was more concerned about reaction of her slave girls than response of a sovereign God to David's childlike worship. Here we see our irony. This queen was affected, concerned with, by slave girls' opinions. Queen Michal was the opinion of others, even slave girls. Though she was a queen, she was a fragile and insecure. This is why worship matters. Because if you don't find something, if you don't find yourself before God, if we don't find ourselves before God, guess what? We will become a slave of others. If our worship of God does not free us, free ourselves even from our own you know, self, the world will own us. When Michal did not understand the ecstasy of David in his worship, she did not realize that without worshiping God, she had become a prisoner of a social class and prestige rather than being a princess. Much more, guess what? She became so unsexy and unattractive to husband David. So verse 21, David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father and anyone from your house who, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people in Israel. I'll celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more dignified than this. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. And by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You know, David did not deny that he was half naked or even inappropriate or overboard. But you know what David confessed? David said, Michal, all I, everything I did was before the Lord. You forgot why I leapt and danced. Here, twice David said, I did it before the Lord. I celebrate before the Lord. And I'll do again. When David worshipped the Lord, guess what? David became free of everything, including himself. Do you know what to call being out of oneself or becoming bigger than oneself? We have an English word for that, actually a Greek word for that. It's called the ecstasy. Ecstasy. Literally meaning, act means out of, stasis being, out of being, out of self. And listen to me carefully. Worship will give us the greatest ecstasy. I know there is a drug named ecstasy, 
that drug is nothing compared to this ecstasy. This ecstasy is bigger than the universe. This ecstasy is, I am an apple of God's eye. God is a focused, God is really looking at me as his beloved. Worship is the greatest drug out there. David, he was confessing before the Lord, I'm not a king, I'm a kid. I'd rather be a child, I'd rather be a kid. David did not mind being humiliated before the Lord. He did not mind losing all the dignity and glory for the Lord. For David, nothing is sexier and more attractive than God's love and grace for him. So worship was his life. Worship was his heartbeat. This is where Michael and David deferred, and their souls were disunited, and their path diverged. The last verse of today's story is a more than conclusion. It is an actually telltale confirmation about sacred sex. Verse 23, Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Some people think that God punished Michael for the, her lack of reverence, like God punished Uzzah. For Michael, the punishment was not a physical death like that of Uzzah, but it was a physiological death called infertility. She became a barren woman, woman without honor. Well, I don't think it was a supernatural punishment of God. I see, along with other biblical scholars, I see it's a more natural perspective. That is, David never consummate with Michael after today's event. David lost his attraction for Michael. David found Michael unsexy because she is unholy. Michael took the worship of God nominally. She was more obsessed with the social facade. Michael was a worldly, insecure, Demanding. In one word, David and Michael did not share the oneness of a heart, unify the heart for the worship. And then for that, let me read the last quote of the, uh, from the Alan, uh, uh, Tim, Tim Gardner's. The essence of a sexual intimacy can never be enjoyed or can be true and lasting sexual fulfillment occur until a husband and wife grasp the truth. The number one purpose of sex is a neither procreation nor recreation, but unification. This unification is a celebration of a soul deep bond that is a present when a couple knows and experiences the certainty they are together permanently for divine purpose. And here is a real kick. Whenever we make orgasm the goal of a sex, we will fail to experience godly sex. In other words, the big O of the sex is not orgasm, it's a oneness, it's a oneness. The most important O in sex is a oneness with God, oneness with God. That's a worship. Worship make each other grateful, forgiving, accepting, 
and lucky and happy. And thus, in that kind of an environment, the love is to be celebrated sexually. My final biblical spiritual instruction for everyone today, for everyone's increased sexiness today is this. Be one with God and share oneness of God with your spouse. Being one with God is not just a worshiping in the church. For Christians, a worship means daily sacrifice. Paul said Romans 12 that offer your body as a living sacrifices by renewing your mind. And let me conclude my sermon with a story that I witnessed in my life. Back in college, uh, back in seminary, uh, I went to, uh, uh, sem uh, my first seminary was uh, a Golden Gate Baptist Seminary in the Mill Valley uh, Bay Area, San Francisco. And the uh, number one job for seminary was uh, cleaning the rich people's house. So I was uh, cleaning uh, one very wealthy couple's house in Belvedere, Tiburon, Mill Valley. Those of you know Bay Area, this is the richest of richest elite. Their, 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 their house is right by the uh, uh, water. And the husband's, you know, was, you know, his hobby was rowing and things like that. Anyway, the wife was a German, German-American, first-generation German-American. She was a vintage Northern European beauty. Not only that, she was a classy. She was a great pianist. So while I was, was cleaning the house, I hear this incredible, you know, that's a classic, you know, uh, uh, music is being played in the back, you know, behind me. And then after, you know, two years, all of a sudden, one day she called me and said that, Paul, I have to tell you that, that I cannot afford your service anymore. I said, I was shocked, what? Because just a few months ago, externally, I saw their uh, uh, tax report on the study. And the uh, husband was a real estate lawyer. And uh, on that year, his uh, net income was $950-some-thousand, a little bit less than a million dollars. And they paid me well until I saw that. When I saw that tax report, I said, mm, it's about time to renegotiate. And all of a sudden, she said, I have to let you go. I said, why? And then she said, oh, I'm getting divorced with my husband. Why? And then she said this. My husband told me that he found a new lover. Who is that new lover? Secretary. He says, yes, filthy rich, you know, middle-aged man running away with a, you know, hot, young, sexy, you know, secretary. <laughs> and then I said, oh, I just, you know. And then she said, you want to see her? So, you have a picture? Oh, yeah, we, have, we took a lot of pictures with her. You know her? And then she showed me a picture. And guess who she was? She was not a sexy, young secretary. She was a middle-aged, below-average, Little obese, overweight, woman, secretary. I said, is your husband is losing sight or he's getting blind? What? 
And then she said this. I should have spent more time with my husband. When, she, when he invited me to go on business trip, I should have taken. I just like it here. I never, you know, ventured out. That house is like a vacation. You kidding me? You not go anywhere from that kind of a house. But as a result, guess what? Over the year, husbands spend more time with the secretary. And what is the job of secretary? Kindly, gently helping the guy. And slowly, his heart was warmed up to her. So this is my last practical application to increase your sexual you know, intimacy and uh, you know, sexiness. Be a servant of God. When we serve one another with the mind of a Christ, nothing sexier than being a servant of Christ to each other. Amen? Let's pray.